0: welcome to the sg engage podcast where it's all social good all the time sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends big ideas and best practices to help you drive impact welcome to the sg engage podcast my name is rachel hutchison and i have the honor and pleasure of being your host today I lead global social responsibility at Blackbaud, and I am here today with Vesna Yarich, who is the interim chief of the UN Trust Fund to End Violence Against Women. So welcome, Vesna.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Rachel, for having me here with you today.
0: So let's just start by getting to know you a little bit better. As you know, the SG Engage podcast is for all sorts of different people who are interested in social impact in all sorts of different ways. So people at nonprofits, people at companies like me, just individuals who are driven by social impact. So tell us a little bit about yourself and the UN Trust Fund to End Violence Against Women.
1: Sure. Sure again thank you for having me today with you rachel and as you said my name is Vesna jaric and i am an acting i'm the acting chief uh, of the only grant giving mechanism that is specialized in ending violence against women which is the u.n trust fund to end violence against women the fund is managed by the agency uh, called u.n women and it was established 25 years ago by the general assembly of the united nations really on the wave of powerful feminist uh, requests uh, that emerged from the Beijing World Conference back in 1995, uh, where uh, Hillary Clinton famously proclaimed that women's rights are human rights. So ever since, the fund's mission has been to resource and Enable demand driven and contextually relevant initiatives that drive the agenda of ending violence against women and girls. So far, um, the fund has supported more than 600 organizations in 140 countries and territories across the world, and we've dispersed uh, almost 200 million US dollars to these organizations. And uh, we can say that, unfortunately, the fund's mission is as relevant today as ever, as we see the the freedom of, of violence is really a key prerequisite for achieving the ambitious global agenda of sustainable development goals. And the, as, as the world, we have set out uh, ourselves to achieve that agenda by 2030, so we're really needs to accelerate the efforts towards ending violence against women objective, especially now in this context where we see concerning trends of increased rates of violence against women, either due to COVID-19 as a global pandemic threat or other threats emerging from disruptive events.
0: So you've mentioned the Sustainable Development Goals or the SDGs, and I know that today, uh, which is International Women's Day. And every day, there are a lot of people who are really focused on SDG five, which is gender equality and women's empowerment. And that's important to many of the people listening. So given that context, does this day in this moment, give us an opportunity to reflect on the state of women and girls around the world? I think the answer is yes. But can you can you talk to us a little bit about what that state is?
1: Absolutely. And yes, totally agree, Rachel. March 8th is always an annual appointment for us and for the whole world, really, to reflect and assess the successes of centuries-long claim for gender-equal world and and women's rights. Now, if you are asking me to to, uh, make an assessment of what the progress is, it really depends on where and when we place the pin of comparison. And certainly we can claim that significant progress has been made over the centuries on this path towards gender equal world. For example, in most parts of the world, women are free to choose their partners. They are free to uh, to go safely in schools. They can vote. Encouragingly enough, globally, proportion of women in parliament uh, has more than doubled since 1995. But we also need to be realistic, right? Uh, taking the example of parliament, we in this moment, women still occupy only one fourth of the parliament uh, seats uh, globally. Right. So every every time period, every geographic location deals with some new and some old and persisting challenges to gender equal world. I would argue that violence against women and girls is probably the oldest and the most stubbornly persistent problem uh, that that the world is dealing with. It is deeply rooted in social cultural norms that govern our societies how else can we explain that still we are dealing with a really concerning figure of one in three women around the world having had experience of some form or either physical or sexual violence this is the statistic that came out of the prevalence study conducted by the world health organizations prior to the pandemic of COVID-19 and also just to put it in the context that is relevant for our audience the United States are really not an exception to this terrifying figure right the same uh, prevalent study showed that 26 percent of women and girls in the United States have experienced violence in their lifetimes with which puts Uh, the United States in that global uh, figure of of one in three. And again, as I said, this is the the pre-pandemic situation screenshot, right? So we know that pandemic, unfortunately, has sorely exacerbated this already dire situation for women and girls. We've we we all had the opportunity to read the outpouring reports on increased rates of violence against women in different parts of the world. UN Women, our home agency, has estimated that eleven million girls may not return to school after the pandemic. Another agency of the UN system, UNFPA, estimated that 13 million more girls may be pushed in forced child marriages as a negative coping mechanism with the impact of the COVID-19. So this really brings us back again to the sustainable development goals that you mentioned Uh, at the beginning, and it shows that the achievement of this ambitious agenda of sustainable development goals heavily depends on our ability to put an end to violence against women and girls. And this becomes even more important in the context of disruptive events that represent significant threat multipliers, such as the pandemic, such as conflict outbursts, such as natural disasters, uh, in uh, as a result of, of climate change events. But I have yeah. to also, if you allow me to end on a yeah, positive note, so that I don't design, you know, too dramatic and, and dire situation. You know, there is also hope there that we are seeing through the lens of the UN Trust Fund to End Violence Against Women. We are working directly with the women's rights organizations and civil society organizations that are operating locally, and they're giving us a lot of hope. We have witnessed throughout this pandemic and over the past 25 years to their life-saving work with women and girls survivors of violence and those at risk of violence so there is hope out there
0: <laughs> absolutely absolutely and and i was going to ask you and you already kind of uh, mostly answered it that that the pandemic has disproportionately affected women and girls and particularly when you think of sdg5 as being kind of like a super sdg That needs to be, um, we need to be successful in supporting gender equality because other SDGs are so deeply connected to it, like poverty, like access, you know, to health. Because women play such an important role in the lives of their families um, that it's not just they're all deeply connected. Absolutely. So your work is under the United Nations Development System umbrella. So as you said, you focus on women and girls in countries eligible for development aid, and then you report back to the UN member states. But you've already noted a bit of this, and I wonder if you could dig into this a little bit more, that when people hear things that have UN in front of them, they often think certain member states are doing things to help a certain other set of countries, but that's not us. But when it comes to violence against women, and again, these stats that you mentioned that were just in the US alone this is actually a universal problem, even for the UN member state countries.
1: It is indeed, absolutely. And this problem doesn't really re- live in isolation, right? This is not a country-centered and and confined to the borders uh, problem uh, for several reasons, right? On the one hand, we are truly living in an interconnected world, right? Both physically and virtually. And Regardless of what form of violence we're talking about, whether we are talking about sexual harassment in the workplace or the Me Too outcry movement uh, uh, emerging from Hollywood and, and that taking shape elsewhere in other parts of the world, or if we are talking about female genital mutilation and cutting, or bride kidnapping or other harmful traditional practices or sexual exploitation, right? The forms and manifestations are endless. But regardless of what form we are talking about, what really sustains violence against women is really the social-cultural norms that condone, sometimes even promote, but definitely uphold the bastions of patriarchy and Uh, and keep this high tolerance, social tolerance to violence uh, against uh, women, which then shapes the institutional structures and institutional responses, which leaves us in that space of impunity of perpetrators, leaves us in that space of secondary victimization of survivors who have dared to speak out. And instead of celebrating their courage and bravery and strength and resilience, we see them being re-victimized by endless uh, questions on why you didn't report, victim blaming, uh, the attitudes that push women into the silence. So that uh, indicates that the common path for all of us, regardless of of where we live and what form of violence we're uh, testimonies to, the path uh, is not only to respond and support the survivors, but really to invest in prevention, to prevent violence from happening in the first place by changing the narrative, by changing the public discourse, by putting the uh, and shedding the light on the perpetrator's responsibility rather than on victim blaming. So, yes, we really do have a lot to learn from each other. And the lessons of the grantees funded by the UN Trust Fund are certainly applicable elsewhere, right? Not only in the US, but uh, in, in other parts of the world. So. Let me give you an example that is uh, related uh, that, that that can connect maybe the world the the world right. So we can agree that in this moment we are living in a world of multiple and overlapping crisis We've just been through and we are still living in the protracted crisis of the global pandemic due to COVID nineteen. We have seen escalation and sudden outbursts of conflicts. We are seeing natural disasters that are related to the climate change. For example, in Texas last year, we've seen um, a a very difficult, heavy winter storm that left many people without power. And um, the, the women's rights organizations operating in Texas reported that the storm was trapping many survivors in in their homes with the abusers so the same situation we've seen through the eyes of 157 organizations that we're working with during the COVID crisis they were reporting and sounding the early alarm as early as in april 2020 telling us look the lockdown measures the covid pandemic are keeping survivors locked with their abusers in in the homes. But not only that, we've seen that the whole system was redirected in responding to COVID and leaving the survivors outside. So, for example, in India, we've heard reports of victims of acid burning not being able to access healthcare facilities uh, because they were uh, locked for anything else other than uh, th- other than COVID-19 patients, we've seen, for example, in Colombia with Corporación Convivamos, uh, that they received 553% increase of calls to their helplines from survivors really crying for support. Shelters were outbursting without uh, uh, sufficient capacity to provide support to survivors. We've seen women and girls with disabilities being deprioritized for food distribution at the level of household due to the food scarcity generated by COVID-19. And what has happened with these 157 organizations that we are supporting, they have all stepped in in this this space, the same way women's rights organizations in Texas did. They stepped in, they stepped up, and they really acted as first responders, not only to survivors of violence, but also to those at risk of violence. So, for example, in our portfolio in, in 2020 alone, we've seen organizations serving more than 72,000 women and girls with food, hygiene supplies, other emergency need items in order to really help them survive through the crisis and the impact that it, uh, it generated. In Zimbabwe, for example, Voluntary Service Overseas organization provided food packs for 900 women and girls survivors of violence, who live with HIV-positive status and AIDS and uh, and, uh, uh, some form of disability. So the, the, the examples are endless, right? But what is the common thread here that really brings together both the U.S. experience and experience from the organizations around the world is that women's rights organizations have been the first responders. And the message, I think, for all of us is to... Cherish that, and to recognize that they have the role to, pl- to to play in the preparedness system. Whatever is the shape and form of the crisis, the women's rights organizations are there to serve the survivors, to help the communities. But I also have to share, Rachel, with you uh, the information that puts you know the entire conversation in a larger context. If we look at the development aid overall, only one, only 2% of the overall funding goes towards investment in gender equality and women's rights. And out of that funding, only 1% really trickles down directly to the women's rights organization. So that shows that the role and the recognition of women's rights organizations and civil society organizations in this space is still lagging behind. We have a huge opportunity here. We have this huge capacity to leave no one behind truly, and we need to resource and enable the expertise of these organizations to deliver upon that.
0: So how do we do that? How do you change it from, how do you increase it from two percent? Who controls that?
1: Well, there are a lot of ways how we can do it. One way is to use our voices as active citizens and talk to our governments and motivate them to increase that portion of development aid that goes directed to gender equality and women's rights agenda that is so substantially important to the, the achievement of sustainable development goals as you are noting not only through and exclusively through the sdg5 but really throughout 17 all 17 goals so this is one of the ways how we individually can act and move we can also support the organizations that we know about in our local communities we can support them also through the u.n trust fund to end violence against women clearly that works uh, globally and and connect and aims to connect uh, these worlds i also believe that uh, you know beyond the the exclusive responsibility of the government, there is also a growing participation and interest of the private sector, which is growing its share and contribution in the development aid work. And I think that is an important space to watch and uh, to create those bridges and understanding of the role of the private sector to contribute to the development agenda. So I am very optimistic about our prospects for future. Well, that's good.
0: That's good. Optimism is a wonderful thing and we need we need it. So uh, before we end, I would love for you to share, I know you do, you're constantly working on this and you publish Briefs and results, and if we have listeners on the line who want to stay attuned to the results and research that you are sharing, even if they're outside of the U- UN committee where, uh, community, excuse me, where do they go to find out more?
1: I would invite everyone to check the website of the UN Trust Fund on untf.unwomen.org but also uh, to follow us on social media. So our Twitter and Instagram account reads at UN Trust Fund, EVAW, EVAW stands for Ending Violence Against Women. And through there, uh, you can certainly find um, all the latest information and news that we are publishing constantly. We are very committed to sharing the lessons and the learnings uh, with the the wider community. And uh, we're about to um, launch very soon an interactive platform under the title of shinehub.org, where we will be welcoming everyone interested to interact with us, bearing in mind that the knowledge on how we stop and how we end violence against women is constantly evolving. It is very textual and we have the ability and the space to learn from each other. So this interactive space uh, will serve exactly for that purpose. We will be publishing our knowledge generated through the interaction with the grantees and putting it for the discussion and the exchange with the interested uh, interested parties. So please, you're all welcome to join us in this interactive uh, space, shape, uh, ShineHub.org.
0: And I believe we got, it was undp.unwomen.org, and we'll include in the description of this podcast some of those handles and and social things that you mentioned so people can find it. So I just want to say thank you to you, Vesma, for joining us today on um, International Women's Day, which is certainly a time to celebrate the incredible progress that we've made in gender equity over the many years. And there are many, as you noted, many, many, many celebrations to have but also to think about the opportunities to do even more because we do need to do more. So thank you so much for joining me today.
1: And thank you so much, Rachel, for giving your platform to this important topic and for being part of this change. Thank you so much.
0: You are welcome. And to the SG Engage podcast listening audience, thank you so much for joining us. Please check out other episodes of SG Engage using whatever podcast platform you subscribe to. Uh, This is Rachel Hutchison signing out.